Hello, this is Michelle Weston with Learning Curves 2.0 on Radio 360 for Women, empowering women all around the globe. I hope everyone is well. I have a wonderful guest today, um, and we're going to talk about something that's a little different when we think of chronic conditions, and that is the person who becomes the caregiver or one of the caregivers, but normally a main major person in caregiving. And that can be for a parent, that can be for a child, a friend, any sort of way that you give care to someone that you really, they mean a lot to you. And I've actually asked another Radio 360 host to come and join me because when we spoke a couple of months ago, I was really intrigued at her story about her father. And she is doing a show called Casa de Confidence on Radio 360. Definitely dial in. She's a much better explainer of what she <laughs> really does. <laughs> so she can tell you the long and short of it before, because I do want them to, to check you out as well. Because I think your father affected why you've ended up doing what you're doing a little bit, correct? Absolutely, Michelle. And thank you for having me on your show. This is a pleasure and an honor to be a part of what you're doing and the message that you're bringing to others through your show. So thank you again for asking. It's my pleasure, honestly. Oh, so fun. You, I have to tell you that I am an admirer of what you do because, uh, yeah, like you said, my dad was a big influence in my life. And what I am doing today definitely has a direct correlation to him, his life, and how he created this person who I am today. Um, you know, I am a business and life strategy coach. I went to school originally to be a teacher. Many of the people in my family are teachers, and teaching is something that comes very naturally to me. I enjoyed it, but I was not a very good morning person at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and you need that to teach yeah, a class. You have to, you have to get up early. You have to invest a lot of time. And honestly, for as much as I love teaching and being in that environment, I also knew that I wanted more of my life. And I wasn't sure what that more meant. I was able to get recruited for a job with an educational company. Again, thanks to my dad. My dad mm -hmm. worked for a non-for-profit company, a consulting firm that did a lot of work for the Agency of International Development. And this organization did a lot of grant writing, proposal writing to get grants and money from the World Bank, from AID, and implement these programs around the world. They were a social, a, a non-NGO social justice organization. And I learned a lot and how you don't have to be in government to make an impact and you can actually create a great ripple effect into the world by doing what you do best. Wow. I, I learned to do grant writing. And as I started to work with this organization, I had a background in sales from, you know, working at, uh, retail and working in retail through college and mm -hmm. after college, after I worked in teaching, I learned to work for Macy's as your bridal manager. So I had a sales <laughs> background. So every That's little what thing. what you and I have in common. I was over at yeah. Bloomingdale oh, doing well, the same thing. Well, there you go. So here wow. we are. And, and I really enjoyed, 
I really enjoyed it all, but I knew that that was not the right fit either. I didn't necessarily loved working the holidays and being on my feet a lot. And I really loved the business part of it. So when I was recruited by this company, this educational company in New York, um, I lived in New York at the time, and I love melding, melting both things, the education and the business, the sales, and I was good at it. And I started to grow through the company. I started to get promoted and move up and move up. And as I moved up, my dad was that mentor. He was always a dear friend, mentor, supporter, uh, challenger of anything I did. But my first cheering squad with everything that I did. And again, someone that I, I could count on from an early age. He shared the quote by Henry David Thoreau. My dad was a voracious reader. And the quote is, go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Promptly, as I think a teenager, I started to adopt that quote into my life. And it became some sort, of, sort of a mantra. Anytime that I felt uncertain, he would remind me, you can do it. It's okay. Go and go after your dreams. You can do anything you set your mind to. Um, and of, co- of course, as an older child, the oldest, I am naturally outgoing, leader, confident. I don't always have it together, though, Michelle. I don't always have it together. And I think that that's one of the things that I started to realize in my years growing through the ranks of a company that you're getting promoted, you're being touted for your talents. And people would say, you're so confident. And I would think, no, I'm not. I don't have it all together. And that's just kind of like this misconception in the world. Mm. So as I continued to grow and and I you know reached the VP level, and then I reached um, a, a senior VP level overseeing programs. At this point, I've moved to another company. And again, my dad by my side, I'd went through a divorce, moved out, um, and again, dad by my side, and he would remind me, you can do it. You, you, you can. And always had that. I remarried. And then I came to Connecticut. I moved out of the city. Uh, I left the city that I love. And I came here and continued to grow through this organization. And I always had a thought that I would leave what I was doing in the corporate world some later date in the world to help other women, to help other women empower them, because I knew that not everybody had had um, a, a cheerleader like my dad or someone who had the experience that can train them or someone to bounce things off of. And I knew that that was probably in my future. Now, um, my dad um, actually, you know, he is not here anymore. And it's been eight years since he left this world. But When I was laid off at the beginning of the pandemic, I knew that this is exactly what I was going to do. I was going to go after my dreams. I was going to do it confidently. And I was going to then make an impact on the lives of other women by helping them build their own dreams and find the confidence that it takes to build a business or create a brand or do the thing that maybe they didn't realize that they could do. So yeah, that's that's me and that's a little bit about me. And now I host a show. I'm a business and life coach for other women. And I am also a speaker and author. So with all of that on your shoulders and all the, the of the uh, things you can create and that you envision creating, what happened with your dad? What healthcare issues happened 
eight years ago, 10 years ago, that ended up you being the daughter that really stepped up? Well, I have to tell you that my dad was the epitome of someone that did and not intend on growing old gracefully. He was going to do all he, first of all, for those people who may, maybe from your listeners who know New Yorkers, he's a New Yorker through and through. And he grew up in the Upper West Side in the 1950s. So he was that charming, debonair character from the 1950s movies that um, would charm the heroine in the movie. Always had a kind word, always had a handkerchief to give you when you cried. Um, and he he was just, he loved to laugh and loved to dance. And he was the life of the party. Love that about him, and we, I guess, we're very alike in that in those ways. But um, healthy was his thing. He would work out every day, even into his eighties. He turned eighty in nineteen not nineteen twenty twelve. He turned eighty, and again was working out every day. He ate healthy. He would always say, honey, you know, you have to have vegetables at every meal because you got to get in your vegetables. And he would talk about drinking water even before, you know, we hear all the gurus talk about it. And one day he just started, started to feel tired. He started to feel not himself and he wasn't getting the energy. Now, mind you, um, I had been after him to quit smoking because that was the one thing that he started at the age 12 and never gave up. 12 years old. Is this background in your family? Is this uh, something that, that, that your culture sort of a You know, he, he grew up in the projects. He had a mixed descent, um, Puerto Rican and part Italian, a little bit of everything in there. But he he really, at the time, again, the Upper West Side was not what it is now. Um, but he just tried, he, he joined the Air Force to leave and to find a better life. Then he put himself through college after that, went to City College and continued to always find a way to better himself, to learn more, to be different. And those are the traits that I definitely continue to adopt from him and have really become part of my value system. Now, it wasn't what I thought, right? Because when he started to feel bad, I started to lecture dad. What if something is wrong? And he's like, honey, I'm fine. And he went to the doctor and he said, I told you, my doctor says my lungs are perfect. There's nothing wrong. But what ended up happening is um, he did have prostate cancer back in uh-huh. in the early 2000s. Okay. And from the prostate, okay. wow. he, had his, he said, I'm going to take that sucker out. So he had his prostate removed in 2003 and was in remission. He did chemo. He, no, he did, he did radiation and he, he was fine. But 10 years, almost 10 years later, what ended up happening is he had a problem with his thyroid. And this is how it all started. It was not thyroid cancer, but he had nodules in his thyroid. So he had uh, radiation for the thyroid. And what led after that is that he ended up um, getting myelodysplastic anemia because wow. the radiation in my and in in this part it's it's sort of that leukemia and anemia had a child it's basically what it is and for those few people who are familiar with Robin Roberts from Good Morning America is the same thing that she had 
you can treat it with um, bone marrow transplant, or you can also have radiation, more radiation. But it really, my dad at this point was not a candidate for the bone marrow because of his age. And what the way that he was treating it is through blood transfusions on a biweekly basis. And he was, again, going for his little transfusions and he would work out. He wouldn't do, he would work out. He would do everything that he could to continue to, you know, get healthy. He would walk, he would eat healthy, do the things. But ultimately, he was then diagnosed with stomach cancer. And he had surgery that removed the mass. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. They removed the mass. And this is probably in February of 2014, um, they removed the mass. And then they, they couldn't do radiation because he had myelodysplastic anemia. And basically, when they when you do radiation and they're killing your white blood cells and your body doesn't produce them, then you have a problem. But they said they had gotten all the cancer. He had really good markers, and he just needed to continue with um, the treatment for the myelodysplastic anemia because every so often his blood cell count would drop tremendously, and. You know, and and we he started to talk about, hey, I'm not here forever. And of course, I would say, Dad, you know, I don't want to talk about this. But he knew, he knew that he his he was in borrowed time. And um, for even though we talked almost every other day, and and he lived in Florida at the time. He he had remarried. My stepmom again was very you know kind, supportive help to take care of him. But she would say, Julie, he's not telling you how well he's doing. You really have to check up on him. And she was working full time at the time. And the interesting thing is prior to my dad being diagnosed with the stomach cancer, they had been talking about separation. So my dad really, and he, we had been talking about him actually moving to Connecticut um, even though he wanted to golf every day of his life because that was the ultimate dream for him. And he, living in Florida, he could do it as often as he wanted to. But again, you know, the disease really started to take its toll. And it wasn't until the beginning of December of 2014 that I, we had just spoken a couple of days before. And when we had an opportunity to speak, he did sound tired. He sounded definitely more, um, not out of it, but just not the real peppy, pep in your step, happy-go-lucky guy that I was used to. Um, I got a call from my stepmom. It must have been a Tuesday night because I remember I was coming. I, I was coming back from one of these things that I, I committed to on Tuesdays, and I was coming in and. I was about to come in the door and the phone rang and it was her, not my dad calling. And immediately I knew. And she said, your dad's in the hospital. He's on his way via ambulance. I'd called him this morning. He didn't pick up. The neighbors came in and found him and he was passed out on the floor. And again, my my dad, having been so independent his whole life, never wanted to rely on anybody. Never wanted to, you know, be the person that needed help. 
So as soon as I hung up the phone, I said, okay, I'm on my way. And I knew that this was possibly the beginning of the end for him. So I flew to Florida. I didn't even go to their house. I went directly to the airport. And because he at this point was in intensive care. Yeah, I arrived from that. So you left the, the, the airport <clears throat> directly to the hospital. Oh, for and sure. So, and he, yeah. he was already in intensive care. Um, I have to tell you, there is the hospital where he stayed. Um, what an amazing medical facility it is. I, I really came in and I talk about this in my book, actually, because it's it's sort of that memory that's seared in in my mind as I was getting the rental car to go to the hospital. I remember already playing out the 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 exchange that was going to happen between me and the security guard as I demanded to go at midnight into the intensive care unit. And of course, <laughs> and I, once I got there, they said, yes, go ahead. And I'm like, what? Weren't you going to argue different. with me? I see is different. And okay. you also had traveled and you were his daughter. Correct. So thankfully... We have nurses, especially in ICU, who mm. absolutely would understand yeah. that. I'm glad to yeah. hear that. That's a very and yeah, yeah, for sure. And and so I the the security guard is, you know told me third floor room number. Um, I get to ICU and he's in a room in which, of course, and this is almost you know several years before COVID that you know you didn't have the experience of having to wear a mask having to wear a gown at least i didn't but you had to dress in the little outfit before you went in the door and um you know i he dressed germs out yeah <laughs> because his blood his his blood count and any type of infection could have been incredibly detrimental to his health his mm. oxygen level continued to drop continuously. And that was really what was happening at that point. So I went in and he was just so happy to see me. He's like, honey, I'm only here for a little bit. <laughs> and I said, what do you, well, I'm glad you're here. You just wanted to see me. I said, I'm not complaining. I'm here in December. So I'm enjoying the mild weather. And again, you know, they very accommodating you know, the the nurse, the shift, uh, the head shift nurse said, okay, you know, this turns into a bed. I said, not a problem. I'm not going anywhere. And I proceeded to that, make the beginning of us being together, the beginning of me entering into helping him usher the last of his time here in in on this earth. But it really was, Michelle, probably one of the most meaningful experiences, um, certainly not the easiest, but most meaningful because from that moment until we moved him into hospice, we I learned more about myself than anything else. And we got to have an opportunity to, um, to you know, and certainly my dad and I talked about a lot of things. Um, before that, there were many sure. things that he was definitely my friend and confidant, but we really continue to have these candid conversations about uh, life and, and philosophizing and talking about maybe things we would have done different, but also treasuring just the mundane conversations too. And it really certainly taught me a lot about myself, taught me about a, 
about him and taught me a lot about relationships as well. So what did you learn about your relationship with your father? You know, one of the things that I learned about my dad and my relationship with him is that um, we are imperfect people. And I think I knew this already, but it was really solidified. My dad, uh, toward the end of his life, he, my mom was wife number three of five. (laughs) He liked women. He liked women. Like I said, he was very debonair. And... (laughs) You know, he he carried some regrets for his life, for for maybe relationships that didn't turn out the way that he wished maybe they could have. He there were things that maybe he could have done differently. But ultimately, the beauty is that you choose to decide, you know what, just like I am a person that has made mistakes, this person has made mistakes. And what matters now is that we are here and the mistakes are in the past, but the today and what we may have tomorrow or not have tomorrow is what matters. You know, my uh, my sisters have a very different relationship with my dad. My mom and dad divorced when I was five. One of my oh, sisters wow. was one okay. and my other sister was about to be born nine months later. Wow. So I am the one who definitely lived with my parents. I am also the one who, um, you know, knew dad differently than they did. Mm. My dad also had two sons from his first marriage who he had lost touch with until I reconnected with them on Facebook randomly a year or four years before that. And he was able to... um, meet one of them, make peace with one of them, create a relationship with one of them, build a friendship. What Um, a gift. And it really was one of the gifts that I was so blessed that I could give to my dad because I was honestly looking for a brother. I'm looking for my brothers because I knew I had brothers and my dad would never talk about them. And I went and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go find them and see. Um, And I... (laughs) I ended up having a beautiful relationship with him, but the byproduct of, you know, being willing to step out of your comfort zone, right? And go look for a brother and say, hey, are you my brother kind of relationship or conversation? Is that then my dad in turn and he in turn got to create this new relationship and bond and forgiveness and everything that comes from it. Uh, so I, I learned that, again, you you cannot hang on to the past. I could have chosen to say, oh, my God, look at my dad. When he divorced my mom, then he married somebody else, and he wasn't as much in my life as I would have wanted. Sure. But I could have also said, hey, Dad, I want to be with you. I want to live with you, which I did at one point in my life oh, nice. when I was in college. Um, but ultimately— you're in New York. Well, at this point, because yeah, he was New York, yeah, right. yeah. So my my dad actually, um, when he met my mom, he was moving to El Salvador. My mom is from El Salvador, oh. and that's where they married, and that's where they lived. I my my mom and I would come to New York to see my grandmother in in, in the city, and eventually, you know, also my aunts, uncles, and, and and family, and then my dad would bring us. But then when they Got divorced, it. um. My dad then was still living in El Salvador, and then he married his uh, fourth wife, (laughs) and she had a son who my dad subsequently adopted. So he is also my brother, but not by birth. Okay. 
Um, so I had, I, again, and then of course, wife number five, who he was married to when he passed, had two daughters. So there's two stepdaughter, stepsisters who I, I also have a relationship. And I think that, you know, maybe it's just my character, but there's a reason why people come into your life, right? I like that, that saying that says people come into your life for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And rather than questioning or wondering, oh, you know, are you my competition because you're my stepsister or you're my stepbrother? I wanted to view as like, you know, oh, great. This is just another person in my life that I get to have a relationship and I get to choose how I show up. Little did I know that that's what I was doing, but it always has been a form of accepting people, accepting them and not thinking that they are taking, you know, like, I, I don't know. I never saw them as someone that was taking my dad away from me. I was in turn gaining people, gaining That's a very rare things. quality, by the way. That is very yeah. rare. And but you got three brothers and Yeah. And and I have to say, you know, the the richness of my dad's life, whether it was good or bad, has given me a wealth of riches for me as well. I've mm. learned from his experiences, from his mistakes, and I you know, there, there are times in which, listen, we didn't have a perfect relationship. I was engaged at 19 into 20 and he was not having it. Um, <laughs> I wanted to go, uh, originally the college that I wanted to go to is a very conservative Christian Catholic school in the middle of nowhere, Ohio. And he was not having it either. He's like, you're not going there. And I remember that even in the times in which we didn't see eye to eye, we we learned how to navigate through those differences with respect for each other. And, and he allowed me to have an opinion. And this is the one thing, Michelle, that I think that I inherited from my dad that maybe my, my sisters in particular, because we grew up in the same household with my mom, um, that we are a little different. To me, someone that is of a different of opinion doesn't mean that I'm not going to talk to you in the fear that... You know, we're going to disagree. But everyone, or, I mean, we always disagree. Right. I think you disagree to disagree. Yes. And you know what? Everyone has an opinion. It's just right. You, but but you, I you am willing for that. And right? this is you this is what I think it. I'm I'm different and in, in what I learned from my dad. If you feel differently than I do, yes, we can agree to disagree. But take it a step further and learn why you believe what you believe. And Absolutely. you learn what I believe. And maybe if we choose to maybe talk about it, we're not about it. it not every, every person you disagree with does not mean that you're going to end your conversation in a, in a fighting match. We, we shy away from conversations because people may not think or believe or experience the same things that we do. But when we shy away from these conversations, then we rob people from the ability to know us, from the ability to find out why we believe what we believe. And this is a lot of what happens in this world right now, that you're this, you're that, I'm in that silo, I'm in the silo, I don't even know why you believe what you believe. I actually saw a TikTok yesterday, by the way, 
Because that's where I get my of news. Of all things, right? Of all things. <laughs> and, 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 and I thought, oh. this is exactly it. Um, there is a young man, and, and it was his teacher making the TikTok. She says, I teach in a very rural part of Oregon in which there is an organization that wears bedsheets. And it's very prevalent here. And, and it's, you know, they don't believe in the Holocaust happening. I have a student whose parents are part of this organization. And part of the curriculum that I have to teach is the Holocaust. And, you know, this young man said, I don't believe that. I've been taught to not believe. I believe that's a conspiracy theory. And the teacher continued to share, well, this is why I believe it happened. Oh, and by the way, as a teacher, yes, here are some archive photos. Here are some anecdotal conversations. And that asking and giving and taking in the conversation was able to then educate someone in a perspective that was not his own. And listen, the teacher didn't do it to change his mind or bring him to her side. She did it because she believes strongly that through education and right information, and listen, that doesn't mean that she's perfect, but it's important to be understanding of each other's thoughts. And she really explore why does he believe what he believes and what makes him do? And that's a piece that it's missing. And I think that that's one of the lessons that thankfully I've been able to gain from my dad, that there is the ability to have the discourse, the conversation and stay curious as to what you believe and why you believe it. It's, it's, it's interesting that the things that, you know, you get to learn, I'm sure. What did you learn about yourself? Was it more um, how like you were or? I believed the biggest lesson I learned about me and Michelle, this is something that even to this day, it's a lesson that I use every day. My dad, we would sit there in the silence and he would say, honey, you're so brave to be here. Mm. And I would say, Dad, I am not brave. I'm scared shitless. Sorry, I don't know if yeah. I can, okay. I'm scared shitless. And as I would watch him sleep, I would think, how am I going to do this? Don't stop breathing. Don't stop breathing. I don't think I can do this. But it, the, the words still to this day play in my mind. Honey, you are so brave. And I learned that in the middle of grief, in the middle of pain, in the middle of all the emotions that you feel when you're going through something like that, there is the ability to find out what we're really made out of. And that when we don't believe we are made out of the bravery, the strength, we are. We just have to give ourselves an opportunity to go through it. I think those are. I was going to ask you about pearls of wisdom, but I think you've just given us some very clear ones for people struggling with this point in their parents' lives. Is there anything else that you can share with the listeners about things you can pass on to them that you feel will be useful as a caregiver? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things as a caregiver is you have to remember that you can choose how you're going to show up in this moment. You can choose to decide that, you know, again, I think when I refer to this experience and a lot of people will say, oh, you know, I had to be there or I had no choice but to help them because nobody else would be there. You know what? I got to be there. That was the privilege of my life. 
the privilege of my life to be able to have conversations with someone who, by the way, my dad was scared. My dad was not only physically in agonizing pain, in every moment was just difficult. You know, breathing became so, so hard. The whole point of him, and, and he would say, honey, what do you, do you think God will 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 let me be in heaven and you know you 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 ponder faith right and my dad was very philosophical but at the end of the day he he had his doubts he had his his hope he had his um you know grief as well because he wasn't going to be here to see my my niece who was a little bit over a year grow up my brother, Marco, had um, a son also that was about 18 months old, and he wouldn't see him grow up. He wouldn't see any of the changes or things. And, and, and we talked about, I remember, um, all, I love to travel. And, and he would say, honey, I just love living vicariously, because he got to travel a fair <laughs> bit. But there were places he still never got to visit. And he's like, I just go and do that. Go and do that and 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 live your life fully. And I think that that, that, that was the fear, right? We we want to go ahead and share with others our ability to really be able to know that when we feel something, that person in the other end, whether it's it's someone you're caring for or someone that's caring for you, may be feeling the exact same thing that you are. I think that's important. I think, you know, seeing that, that, that there is a, a dual mirror on there, you know, I'm yeah. scared and you're scared Yeah. because, you know, for different reasons, <laughs> I'm scared because you're going to leave me and he, where am I going? Yeah. I kind of know, but where am I going? Yeah. You know, he, he was so funny though, Michelle too. And I think that this is the other thing that a lot of people forget. Um, there is joy in the process. And um, the there there is a time too where people think, oh, your dad is dying. It's a terrible time. It's a sad time, or whatever it might be happening. But there we are incredible beings in which we can allow multiple emotions to live at the same time. You know, there was so much joy at that time. There was fear. There was, you know, anger and all of these emotions can live in me and in the circumstance. And that doesn't mean that we're broken because maybe we're feeling excited about something or something brought us joy. It means that we are human enough to be able to feel and experience different emotions as we're going through this life. Yeah, yeah. And, you know... My sister was the main caregiver for my mom when she she had MG, mm-hmm. my gravis. And um, just towards the end, I mean, she didn't get it until she was 80, which is ridiculous, but life is weird. Mm-hmm. But my sister living in Detroit, in a suburb of Detroit near my mom, um, my brother is in Chicago and I'm here in New York. She became the caregiver. She went on the appointment. She had to, you know, pick up things and do things. And such, you know, you take on these things and you get to see who people are. My mom had talking about traveling, mm-hmm. had gone to 
um, Easter Island down in South America. And mm-hmm. there were these dogs that were in heat. They weren't there to hurt her, but mm-hmm. they surrounded her and were running around. And she had these stupid hiking boots that the leader said they had to have on. So not necessary for what they were walking on. They weren't walking mm-hmm. mountains. But the point is, is that crazy time. She's down there with her friend. Both her ankles got broken. Oh, my from the dogs! From <gasps> the dogs. Wow. Yes. So she had to be shipped up oh. from Easter Island to the main island. Mm. And then my sister had to organize her getting on a plane, coming through, having an ambulance there. Wow. Wow. How, how for us, how children, how siblings show up is, is, is mm-hmm. very interesting. You know, I gave my sister a break during my mom's illness. And I came in from New York and stayed there so she could get away because... It's hard. Yeah. It's very hard on a soul. And you do, you get to learn things from mm-hmm. your parents. You also get to see where you're alike. I mean, m- maybe that's with, maybe that's being my mother as opposed mm-hmm. to my father, but you get to, yeah, you get to see yourself in a light, you know, even with fathers, you know, you see certain isms and yeah. um, statements or viewpoints and you'll remember that that yeah. way. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have to tell you, you know, it was um, toward the last week of my dad's life and he really, um, he wanted to go home. Sure. He wanted to go. He's like, I am not dying in a hospital. I'm dying at home. Um, Which is how most of us want to. Most of us want to, but it was not realistic. At that point, it depends on what you're, what, yeah. what's going on with your body. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the the first of all, the level of oxygen that he needed to be in was not something that without having full time on round the clock care, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and we can get into so many other discussions here, right? Because <laughs> uh, insurance coverage, all of that, right, affects yep. that end of life care too. Yeah, and yeah. although my dad had, he was always a planner. His favorite saying, and I use this in my coaching all the time, perfect previous planning prevents problems, right? But and he, <laughs> he loved to plan and have a contingency to the plan. But there were things out of his control also. Sure, sure. And, you know, when, when we started into, the doctor said, you need to make plans to make him comfortably. And he needs to go to hospice. And he, and that was, I, th- I think, not a fight of sorts, but and he at, at this point I was already his medical proxy, okay. and I knew I knew I knew he did not want to be in a machine. He did not want. I knew it. Sure, I knew that. And the one thing Hospice that he wanted, is for that. Yeah. yeah. And the one thing he wanted was to go home. And I and I said, um, you can't go home because you cannot have the care that is needed at home. Well, I'm dying anyway, who cares? And it's like, well, <laughs> don't you love stubbornness? Yeah. And 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 that was and 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 that's exactly what it was. It then it was two stubborn people, but it was me reminding him that I wasn't trying to not help him, but I was trying to help him in the best way I could based on the circumstances. Sure. And then there's so many other things that are beyond our control. And we have to, at that point, say, well, if this is the best it's going to be, how can I make the best of what it is? So what did you do at hospice? Because you have lots of opportunities at some places to actually make it as 
homey yeah. as you can. So as you can. So here, here is um, here's the story. Um, this is Christmas, the twenty third of of December. Oh, and um, they want him out of the hospital. By the way, I'm sorry. Just so you know. And they want him out of the hospital. Oh yeah, they wanted him the out. Of, oh yeah, oh, I knew that. Twenty third. Yeah, twenty third. Yeah, they are looking to not go into mm-hmm. January one yeah. and start a whole cycle. Yeah. Oh, so, gosh. so a couple things happened. Um, so, um, I I live here in Connecticut. My dad was in Florida in in Orlando at the time. Um, he, my brother was with me. My brother Marco, who was the son that he adopted from his fourth marriage. And he was there with me a couple days. Um, Mickey, my other brother, who happened to be in, he happened to work in Florida, although he lived in Louisiana. He had to, he had to go home for the holiday. Sure. And it was me and my, my cousin, who I was very close to, who has five, six children. He had passed away in August at the age of, uh, let me think, 40, 48. Oh, that's so tough. From, from um, he was, he had kidney disease and he had been on dialysis. Mm-hmm. Um, so when my cousin passed away, uh, one of the things, and, and talk about another very interesting experience. Um, I happened to be in, te- in Texas for business trip and went to visit him and called him and said, hey, I'm in town. Want to get together? He's like, well, I'm in the hospital. And I immediately went made my way to the hospital to see my cousin. And he, um, when I was in the hospital, his wife and his daughter were there. And I noticed like he's not feeling well. And I'm like, Something is wrong. You, we needed the, we need a nurse, and they didn't want to. Um, they 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 didn't want to push. They didn't want to be pushy or too. Oh, and no. I was like, "Excuse me, there's something wrong." And then you see me calling the nurses because I'm the pushy New Yorker. So, you, right? and you also became the advocate. I your, became the advocate. Uh, it turns yeah. out that my cousin was having um, a heart attack while I was there. Oh goodness! And he gracious. was rushed into um, intensive care. Mm. So I stayed, and and then I gave his wife and daughter a chance to go home, get rest, because they had been in the hospital with him. So the following day, I was with him for the day, and then again, we, during that, this is three, four months before my dad, we started having those conversations, and I remember my cousin um, said, hey, when I'm not here, I want you to take care of the kids, because I know that you're there for them. I know that they see you as another mom. I don't have kids, so these mm. are as close as my kids sure. as they get. You're the good aunt, and um, and I said, "Don't be ridiculous. You're getting out of here." Um, but we had these incredible conversations that I think also prepared me for what was to come with my dad. So That's fast really, forward, really lucky. Fast forward to when we were at the hospital with my dad. We're talking about moving him into hospice. He finally agreed. My brother went to my one brother who had been there for two days. Went back to Louisiana. That's Mickey from his first marriage. Marco from the fourth one. He was going back to D.C. to be with his wife and young son. And um, my dad said, "Don't you have the kids coming to you for Christmas?" Because since my cousin Hector had died, I told him to come to Christmas at my house. And they were traveling to my house. 
And I said, yes, but I'm not going home. You know, they're, I, I haven't talked to them. I don't know. And he said, honey, go home for a couple of days and go make a nice Christmas for them. <laughs> How nice. And come back and I'll be here. <laughs> <laughs> and mind like you, Michelle, place, right? and mind you, Michelle, like I had, I had arrived at that hospital and I n- had not even left to go to my dad's house because that hospital actually has, um, has a beauty salon and a spa. Stop. And I would, that I, I made friends with the nurses and with hospital staff. So I Very was showering. Listen to that, yeah. everybody listening. Make friends with the nurses, make friends with the <sighs> hospital staff. They they got a, they got a, a lot on their plates, so yeah. it's always better to to befriend them. Yeah, and and like and, this. Oh, for sure. And I'm telling you, like when there was a day, and I was like the one of the nurses. Her name is Pat, actually, and I still every once in a while see her on Facebook because we became Facebook friends. Mm. I said I I need to go to my dad's house, ten minutes away from the hospital, because I need to go take a shower, and. She's, and I know I'm not allowed to take a shower in this bathroom here. Um, and she's like, well, why don't you go down to the spa and get a manicure? <laughs> and they will let you use the showers in there. Oh, no. Oh, how lovely. And I was that like, was so what? Cool. Okay, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I ended up not having to leave the hospital because I could shower, change, and not, you know... And I wanted yeah, to be there. Refresh. <laughs> and I didn't want to be anywhere else, um, except when my dad said, listen, go. And when you come back, you know, so they were moving him into hospice first thing in the morning. I flew home. Um, I flew I, I flew home in an afternoon flight, and it was like the hardest thing. Hos- the ambulance that needed to take him to hospice needed to be equipped with a type of oxygen capability sure. Sure, sure. that he needed. But that is not f- few, they're up. far and few between. So by the time I made it home around midnight, um, the ambulance finally moved him into hospice and he was angry. He's like, this people are incompetent. They said they were here in the morning. And, and I said, dad, um, you know, at least you're in there. What is it like? And he's like, well, it's actually very nice. He's like, it's oh, like good. a nice hotel room. <laughs> and I good, said, all good. right, well, I will talk to you in the morning. And he's like, well, you got to remember, you need to make sure these kids have a nice Christmas. I said, yes, but I'm just going to go home. I'm going to come back in a day or so. And he said, don't worry about it. You will be fine. I'll see you when you get here. We'll be fine. Um, so that night I went to sleep. The next morning, my husband went to work. And as I was laying, you know how you're laying there half asleep, half awake. And I had not slept well because I'd been sleeping in a chair for weeks. <laughs> um, I started to get up and then I felt, I felt it, Michelle. I felt my dad come and give me a kiss on the cheek. And it was like that little, that little beard that, you know, he would scratchy in your cheek and and I remember just thinking oh I was dreaming with my dad and I'm, and then all of a sudden I'm like no I wasn't and I call the hospital and like I mean the hospice I and and my stepmom is like no he's he's here and I said oh and I hung up I came downstairs I changed and then I got the call from my stepmom he's, he's gone he's gone 
And um, there were, I had a choice, Michelle. I had a choice to think I, I failed him because I was there all that time and then I didn't stay till the end. Or I could have a choice to think he didn't want me to be there at the end. Julie, you were there at the very end in spirit and in soul because you felt him. And also, you were there when it counted, when he had to have an advocate, when he needed someone to fight for him and make sure, when your cousin needed someone to fight for him. It, you show up different ways. We always, you know, we ugh, humans always go to woulda, shoulda, coulda. Yeah. And you showed up the way you were supposed to show yeah. up. And I've never questioned that, Michelle, because we talked about, you know, the other thing that was that was happening is we're sitting in we're sitting in the on the hospital and um, my husband, my 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 dad says to me as I'm speaking to my husband, uh, we're talking about golfing and how he wanted to go to PR and he was going to take my husband and my uncle and golfing. And he says, um, we're talking about it. He's like, oh, by the way, aren't you supposed to go to California for New Year's Eve? And I said, oh, don't worry about it. It's I don't even want to talk about that. He's like, listen to me. Life is for the living. You go to California. You go in that trip. And I'm like, Dad, I can't even think about that. We haven't even gotten through Christmas. Um, but when it was all said and done, and here's the beauty of it, Michelle, because I was home and I made a very nice Christmas for my nieces when they came. Oh, but oh that Christmas Eve, um, and I always have an open house for Christmas Eve. People can come and go. Sometimes we have two people. Sometimes we have none. Sometimes we have a few. But that night, Michelle, every single friend mm. that I have made here in Connecticut, like all these people came to the house and they had met my dad when we got married. Oh, how and nice. they, they knew my dad and these people showed up for me, but more importantly, they showed up to pay their respects in that way Yes, and to toast my dad. And it was an amazing experience because I could have, like you said, should have, would have, could have, I could have been in that, but I chose to, like he said, life is for the living and, you know, put some music on Dance like he enjoyed, have a toast in his name. And everybody got to make these wonderful speeches that, by the way, I filmed. And now when I'm feeling like I need a pick me up, I can go in or in, and hear people say these wonderful things about my dad and remember the, how they were here for me in my moment of grief, how they were here for my nieces who had lost their dad. And I got to grieve that together. And also, I remember that um, I have all these recordings that I made while in the hospital with my dad. How smart are you? Oh, how wonderful. And so you can go back and, and I can listen. go back and listen to our conversations. Or I can open my phone and look at the pictures of me holding his hand. Oh, Julie. Or I can, um, one of the last things I did as I'm sitting there in this hospital room, um, because we were looking at Christmas, I made a video for my dad. Oh, nice. Um, and I, I, I used one of the songs that he loved. It was one mm -hmm. of those pop songs, um, I Lived, 
Um, and it's a video that every year, either his birthday or Father's Day or on, on Christmas or on the anniversary of him dying, I play to remember that that experience is about living. So whether you're a caretaker um, in the middle of the minutia, the messy middle, the painful middle, the uncertain middle, you got to remember that you can create the memories and choose how you're going to show up in a way that sustains you, in a way that creates the space for this person to transition to to whatever is next for them. But they, they did it in a way that they felt supported, loved, and appreciated. And your father may have been one of those parents who just had had an opportunity to sort of talk everything through. He wanted to talk everything through yeah. with you. And yeah. the end is just you slip away. Mm-hmm. Mo- we, we hope, we hope we can just slip away. Yeah. And he was at a hotel. So how bad was that? Oh, my God. And, and, and honestly, he got there and he was in a bad mood. He went to sleep and then they upped his morphine because he was in pain and uncomfortable and they made him yeah. comfortable. And he he transitioned in a way in which it wasn't painful. It was. And, and, and by the way, all of the things that people talk about were happening. He would talk about his mom coming to visit and talk about it. Um, so I knew the end was near. How did your mom feel about you showing up the way you did for her, for, for your mm-hmm. dad? Did she? Yeah. How did that? I mean, she's still here and, yeah. and it'll be a time. You know, my that- my mom and dad. um have very had or have a very interesting relationship. Um, I don't think we have enough time to talk about my mom per se, but she and my stepmom are friends. Have been oh, had nice. been friends. My mom okay. and so my mom was the person that was there for my dad when he needed someone, and vice versa. When my mom needed someone, she knew she could go to my dad. Um, yeah. It, it was a painful experience, I think. My mom never remarried. Um, it was a painful experience for her to to definitely, you know, not, I wouldn't say he was the love of her life, but, you know, the, the father of her children. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And she, I don't, you know, she, she's, she, it's, it's interesting because I have a very different relationship with her. So we don't talk a lot about that, but she knows that, my dad probably wouldn't have had it any other way as I would have, wouldn't have had it any other way, but to be and there for each other. And she also knows that you will be there for her. She's yeah. seen you show up. Yeah. And I think it's always, uh, how do we grab onto the things that, that make us like our mother, like our father, like mm-hmm. our, our grandparents? She knows how you showed up. Yeah. And I'm sure there's comfort in that knowing mm-hmm. that you are not, you know, going to disappear. You're, yeah. You're and going by the to way, go through that for her as yeah. well. And, and, and by the way, you're not going to get another push in New Yorker more like me, who's going to get the, the shit done when, the, <laughs> because the reality is like, and this is what I love about what you do. You, we have to be our best advocates. Yeah. We have to be in, in the healthcare system. We've got to be the ones who speak up to say something because our healthcare system is broken. Yeah. And and it's we've got to learn. That's why health and wellness coaching mm-hmm. became important. 
because we want to be better before we get to the chronic condition. Absolutely. We want to help people learn how to live their best life and not feel that, you know, that your lifestyle may shift and change, Mm -hmm. but it's still yours. Yeah. So how can you help yourself with your health and wellness? And that's exactly it. Make sure, right? And and by the way, my dad, he lived his full life because he took care of himself. Yes, you said that. So here, he already was 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 a preface of that, and he knew that that's what had to what had to happen. Yeah. And you know, it's it's important to to understand that's that's why we need to be there for each other. You know, my brother was my mother's uh, Mm. proxy, and you know, he was the personality who could do that yeah. in that instance. You know, it, it's, it, again, I've said to people, it's important to choose while you're here, mm. even in your 20s or your 30s or your 40s, when you write things down, your father wanted to be in control. He was because he had a health proxy because he said, Julie, I need to make yeah. sure that you make sure they do this and honor my requests. Right. Right. And that mm-hmm. is a gift. Yeah. And that any of you out there as caregivers, it's important to remember that. Even if it's somebody else who's the health proxy, befriend them. Don't mm-hmm. be an enemy. Oh, Make 100%. sure if you see when you're with them more and more as as the, as you know, illness goes on and may have an ending, make sure that the person knows that they may have changed their mind. So a conversation can happen. They can talk about, do you want this to be any different? Because sometimes we don't know, you know, and I think it's important, Julie. I think it's really important to, mm. to honor that, you know, your father has given you so many things. You and I are in a new relationship as friends and as hosts on Radio 360. Mm-hmm. And I feel so lucky, Julie, to be able to learn from you on what you've learned about confidence and what. We can step up. And what I've learned about, you know, self-esteem and and body image, you and I mm-hmm. talk about that yeah. because we have things to give each other. And right. that's what's great about empowering women. You know, mm. women are really amazing. And I think that this show talking about chronic conditions and all the pieces and the moving parts around it is really important. And that's why I thought, you know what? I think I have an opportunity to let mm. Julie share some things that you would share, you know, you're ready. Yeah. It had been years ago, not so much, but now you can look at it. And and mm-hmm. you guys out there, she's smiling because <laughs> she has positive memories about this. Yeah, And that doesn't mean that doesn't come with sadness and oh, memory. Absolutely. But it also is nice to know, you know, my, my husband, his mother died like 95. Can you imagine all mm. that time? Yeah. You just want to make sure that how you remember people is really what holds on. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And wherever they go, you'll see them later. Absolutely. And, and I will tell you that through the building of this business, through the impact that I'm hoping to make in the world, sure. I do it because there's a woman out there that has a dream. And she did not have someone reminding her that she could dream. She could dream it and she could achieve it and she could do it. So because that was done for me, I want to be the believing mirror that somebody else needs in their life so that they can reach their goals, so that they can have the freedom they want for their lives. I think that's a really good 
place to stop because we've shared where where you can be that caregiver and be that support and be that advocate. And I think that that's enough food for fodder today. And I look forward to seeing all of you listening next week. I wish you well. I wish you health. I wish you happiness and have a great day. Thanks, Julie. Thank you, Michelle. And don't forget, go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Absolutely. Absolutely.